Welcome to Ohio Roots, the official podcast of the Ohio Genealogical Society. Join us as we embark on a captivating journey through Ohio's rich genealogy, history, and abundant resources. Hosted by me, OGS Executive Director Noel Poirier, this podcast brings you insightful conversations with a diverse array of guests, from OGS members, chapter leaders, and staff, to renowned genealogists, historians, and influential figures within the genealogical community. Each episode delves into fascinating topics and captivating stories. So grab your headphones, hit that play button, and join us on this enthralling journey of Ohio's roots. My guest on this episode of the Ohio Roots Podcast is the OGS archivist, Jenna Kish. Jenna works at the OGS Samuel D. Isley Library, where she is responsible for the Lyle H. West archives. And I wanted to have her on to give listeners an idea of what kind of resources the OGS archive holds at our library in Belleville and how that might help you as you do your genealogical research. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with Jenna. Well, Jenna, thanks for joining me today on the Ohio Roots podcast. I really appreciate it. I think our listeners are really going to enjoy learning about uh, the OGS archive and, and what's there and how to access it and all those other things. So, but before we get into that, uh, I want to start with what I start with everybody who I talk to on this podcast, which is what is your background and your experience uh, with family history and genealogy? Sure. So I started researching my family's genealogy pretty young. I think I was probably about either 15 or 16. Um, I was always interested in history just in general, but um, I kind of started getting into family history in particular. I had an uncle who had done some research on the family. Um, my family had always had uh, family reunions. So I, we kind of had some uh, connections to the past and through the family reunions as well. And so I just kind of started researching. Ancestry was first getting popular around then too, at least for, um, I think on the mass scale, getting popular in 2014, 2015. Um, it of course existed before then, but um, so I started on Ancestry, just kind of working off my uncle's uh, sort of preliminary work and uh, kind of took off from there. So I know when we first started talking to you about OGS, uh, you mentioned that you had kind of archived some of your own family uh, material. How, how, how did you go about doing that? So I, because I showed interest in history and family history, um, I just, people started just giving things to me. Um, here's some old stuff that my mom had. Here's some old stuff that, um, you know, grandpa had and things like that. Um, so the first kind of uh, family collection I inherited was from my dad's side. He has a, his great aunt doesn't have any children. Um, and she kind of collected a lot of stuff from her side of the family and from her mother. So it was a lot of family photographs from the sort of early 1920s and sort of late 1890s, a lot of letters and a lot of, you know, wills and things like that. So the, those kind of archival materials. And I really think that getting into the photos from my family also kind of cemented my interest in genealogy. Right. Just, it makes it a little more real, I guess. Yeah. And like putting a, a face to the name. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And um, I think too, I also really enjoyed seeing like, I don't know, photos of my grandmother really young and in all of the sort of 1950s clothing and right, cars right. and things like that. So kind of 
was just corralling all of it is definitely the first step. Corralling. Step- That's a good word for it. Yes. Yeah. Yes. It is. It is hurting cats in some ways. Yeah. Um, but that's a good step is at least getting all of it. I think one of the challenges, you know, those of us who are in the uh, library archive uh, museum fields, kind of what you would call that term, the arts maybe, um, is trying to explain kind of what it is we actually do. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Because I think there is a perception of what you as an archivist are doing uh, and what you're interested in maybe. Mm -hmm. And then there's the the day-to-day reality of what we do at OGS. And I was wondering if you could speak a little bit to what is an archivist? Like, what is their responsibility? Um, and it, how do you use that responsibility as it relates to the OGS's collection? Sure. So an archivist generally um, is, it's another form of records management. So sometimes they're used interchangeably, um, but archives in particular are records and materials that are sort of slated for permanent retention. So things that you want to keep long term. Uh, Record managers kind of uh, do materials that are sort of only maybe kept for three to four years. They're they're working with more contemporary items and moving along in their life cycle. Um, But archivists are generally working with historical permanent retention documents. Um, So things that have lasting continuing value either to society at large or just to an institution or a company or a government at a smaller level. So how that relates to what I do with OGS is sort of, I I do two things. So day-to-day, it's either physically processing materials, so historical collections that are brought to OGS by people who are um, donating their family photographs, donating a family genealogy, um, research files, So physically getting those sort of in an order to then be preserved archivally. So that's in acid-free, lignin-free containers and folders, and then labeling all those folders and sort of getting them uh, physically stabilized and organized in a way that other people can use them. I think the second half of my job is then making access to that collection that we've processed. So that's right, yeah. usually in the form of a finding aid. What, what, explain what that means, because I know a lot of people won't know what a finding aid is and what it means, right. and what it can and what it can't tell you. Right. So a finding aid is essentially is a, a resource, a document that is a list of the folders in a box in a collection that just describes what the collection is. So it'll tell you, you know, this folder has information on this family. Um, It has photographs from these years. It'll also give you some sort of um, background or context information on a collection. So who donated it? When did they donate it? What overall is in the collection? And uh, the dates that it covers and things like, when did OGS get it? Um, things like that. So it's not an index to the collection. So an index is separate. Okay. Uh, some of our finding aids are more detailed and will have names. And we do always try to aim for adding as many names of specific ancestors and places as possible. Um, and some, but it, it's not to the level of granularity that you'll okay. find like in an index in a book. Okay. Um, 
what is uh, the other thing is what is different about what you're doing on a daily basis and the volunteers who work with you at OGS um, and what someone does when they just stick a photograph in a photo album in terms of preservation and in terms of, uh, you know, of, of how you treat that object? So I think it, it differs in the sense of what materials we have access to versus what sort of the average consumer can buy from Walmart or Staples. So preservation wise, there's only certain types of plastic that are approved for archival use. Um, and in, in terms of sticking it in a photo album, photo albums are great for um, personal use, for quickly flipping through something and finding someone who you already know is there. Whereas if you're here at OGS, we're trying to make things accessible for other people who don't know the people in the album. Right. So it's kind of a different approach from sure. sort of that sense of organization. So so if that person with that photo album, let's say, or, or that collection, let's say somebody has an archival collection or what they consider an archival collection, um, that they might be interested in donating to OGS or, or another institution, not, not necessarily even us. Mm -hmm. um, what is what is the dream scenario of how that collection comes into OGS? Like, what is the ideal way a person could prepare that collection to come in? Yeah. So if it's photos, if you could name the photos, that would be great. Um, you don't necessarily have to take them out of the fo photo album. I mean, archives are it's really important for original order. So if you put them in a meaningful order um, we will keep that meaningful order. So let's say a lot of people separate, you know, mom's side, dad's side. So if you have a photo album that's, you know, all of your paternal line, those paternal ancestors are going to stay together when they are moved to um, the folders in an archival collection. And it, it might also be, we'll label the envelopes that these came from um, this uh, side of the family. Um and then also another thing I just thought of is it also, it depends on the photo album. So if it's a modern photo album with historic photos in it, we are more likely to remove the photos from that modern album to put the historic photos into safe enclosures. If it's a historic photo album, so, um, you know, a lot of those 1890s kind of plush cover photo albums that are all original order from the 1890s or the 1900s for like, um, you know, cabinet cards and things like that. We're much more likely to keep that album intact because then it's an entire artifact um, right, rather right, than that something that, that someone reorganized and put together separately. So it's always going to depend, um, but really labeling your photographs either by sort of numbering your photos and then making a list where you say, you know, number one is this person, number two, and then kind of having them that way is helpful. Um, and just, yeah, leaving behind little notes for whoever is inheriting your collection that like, this is so-and-so, or I don't know how, or I don't know the exact name of this person, but I know they're from this side of the family. Leaving those breadcrumbs is probably enough for someone to kind of be able to figure out where this person fits in the family. So even little clues is helpful. When, when it comes to, let's say documents, um, how would you, how would that, how would you want someone to handle those if they're thinking about donating them? So documents are, are a similar 
similar idea where um, I'm trying, I would encourage people to think about sort of all of the knowledge that they've gained over the last 10, 15, 30 years in researching. So they, the things that they know off the top of their head, but that they've never written down. So with documents, I would encourage people to organize them sort of in a way that is beyond just having the Smith family as one big bucket. Okay. And then, right. you know, within that big overhead um, sort of umbrella of Smith family, you know, the lines already. Mm-hmm. So I would encourage people to sort of um, go to a more sort of granular level okay. and more specific and have folders that are sort of more by family group. So okay. you have, you know, your Smith family naturalization, the marriage record, the death certificate of the same, you know, two individuals, however you want to define a family mm-hmm. and then kind of organize them more by family groups um, rather than uh, one big bucket. Okay. And that would make, that makes the, from my standpoint, I guess, and I'm, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, the better organized the collection is when it comes in, the quicker we can make that collection accessible to people. Would that make sense? Yes. Yeah. So if we don't have to spend as much time rebuilding a family mm-hmm. tree, Right. Because um, we do try our best if a collection comes in because, you know, we don't always get collections from the creator. Right. Um, oftentimes the donor is a family member, a friend, a neighbor who knew that this was important to the creator and they mm-hmm. wanted it to you know, right. be preserved. Um, so if you as the creator or just someone who knows the family takes the time to rebuild the family tree and the lines and organize it in a way that is more uh, granular and more targeted. Um, It does save us some time sort of in the processing end where, um, you know, if you have a folder labeled, you know, Daniel Sherwood, wife, Elizabeth, and then their dates, that is the name of the folder title that I will create. Oh, okay. All right. Um, and, and that's so the, the so having the correct, having the correct nomenclature, you know, being used by the donor speeds up the process once it arrives in the building. Absolutely. And I think it organizing for yourself and your own mm-hmm. use is different from right. organizing for others to use. Right. Right. And that's, that that's sense. of course where myself and other volunteers come in is we're organizing, thinking about other people mm-hmm. um, and how other people need to be able to quickly, you know, determine if your Daniel Smith is their Daniel Smith, mm-hmm. okay. you know, do they want to look at that folder or not? Right. 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 Okay. Well, well, let's talk now a little bit about what we do have in the in the Lyle West archives at OGS. Um, mm-hmm. What is the what is the what? Go ahead. I'll let I'll shut up. Go ahead and describe the archival collection to me. Sure. So, I mean, archival material broadly is. Um, I know Linda mentioned in a previous podcast that it is unpublished material, but it's also materials that had were created for one purpose but now they are used for another purpose. So again, they are permanently retained for a different use. Um, And sometimes it's also just because of the physical properties. So newspapers are considered archival material, even though they are published. So sometimes there's um, some gray area with that. Um, But archival materials include things like 
research collections or research files. They include family photographs and scrapbooks. It includes uh, county records, court records. It also includes church records, ledgers um, from churches or businesses, as well as sort of any type of military records like um, order books or discharge papers or um, quartermaster records. We do have quartermaster records here um, from one specific, I think it was a division. So it kind of runs the gambit of what actually is in there, uh, land records, land deeds, title abstracts, um, maps, right. the Linnaeus so I'm, Society files as well, okay. all under my purview. Right. So, so if I'm walking through the archive from like one end of the room to the other, mm-hmm. we're going to see a variety of, of items that might be useful to people. Would that make sense? Yes, absolutely. Okay. The Ohio Roots Podcast is brought to you by the Ohio Genealogical Society, the premier gateway for discovering your Ohio family history. To learn more about joining, visit www.ogs.org. If you enjoy listening to the Ohio Roots Podcast, we would really appreciate it if you could go to whatever platform it is that you listen and give us a good review. Reviews help us get more listeners and reach more people with Ohio Roots and what we're trying to do with the Ohio Genealogical Society. So please, leave us a nice review and thanks for listening. When you, when you when you arrived at OGS, what did you feel like was the most important thing that you needed to do um, with the OGS collection? Ooh, so when I first got here, I think it was kind of it was important to me to figure out what had already been done, mm-hmm. what had already been sort of documented, and um, in terms of finding aids, but also what was and wasn't on the manuscript key. So the manuscript key is kind of our master list of all of our collections. So for me, it was going through that list and determining what kind of, what was on there that was in the archive already and Mm -hmm. what was in the archive, but wasn't on the list yet. Okay. Um, So the archive is climate controlled and Mm -hmm. locked. So there were materials in there that had been placed in there because they needed to be in a climate controlled environment, but they technically weren't processed yet. Okay. So kind of a lot of what I did was going through and renaming collections so that Mm -hmm. it would be a little bit more clear of what actually was in the box and also labeling ledgers. So we could kind of know what was on the shelf or physically moving things to an area where I could say, all of Richland County's tax records are right here in this mm-hmm. corner. Right. Um, so things like that. Okay. Um, you know, it's interesting because I know you've been with us, uh, I guess, about two years now. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things I find most enjoyable is when you pop into my office periodically with something that you found in the archive um, that you're in the process of reorganizing. And and I think that uh, it's amazing some of the, the actual uh, very historical documents that we hold at OGS. Mm-hmm that are both uh, historically significant, um, but also genealogically significant. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, the land warrants that you brought into my office that one day, um, going back to, I think, early 1820s, I think in some cases, mm-hmm. um, with the original signatures and, and in many cases, descriptions of why the person was receiving the warrant mm-hmm. um, were incredibly interesting, you know, to know that they're in the collection and that 
if that person's descendant at some point is researching them and comes to the library, they'll be able to see that and, and really get a flavor for that. So I think that that, to me, that's what I find most fascinating about walking into the archive or quite frankly, even into the archival labs, when you guys are setting things up to work on things mm -hmm. um, and just seeing what's laid out on the table and, 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 and taking pictures of it and having fun with it. That's Have you found a particular collection over the course of your, your two years now with us that you were really excited about? It's not the OGS institutional records, I know, but that's okay. <laughs> Unfortunately, but there are some interesting nuggets in there too that I enjoy just of, of looking at how OGS has evolved over time. So there certainly are points in the institutional archive where I am, I'm like, well, that was really interesting that um, I think that OGS kind of started collecting archival material at like a critical point in time mm -hmm. in terms okay. of, you know, we talk about when in the, you know, sort of in the 50s and the 60s, that it was always about the future. And right. people weren't necessarily collecting historical material. So okay. having OGS. So I think that's how we've gotten some really cool right. things is just being there to accept that material and right. take it in. Um, in terms of something that I've personally enjoyed, um, I mean, I think there have been some really cool photograph collections. Right. Um, like we've, I wrote an article on the Remy photograph collection. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's a great collection. Ohio grocer who took a trip West and yeah. took a bunch of photos of, um, Texas and, uh, New Mexico and California in the yeah. 18, sort of early, I think he was late 1890s. I think yeah, I can't yeah. remember the dates. That's a really cool collection. Um, one of the first collections that I kind of got into in more depth. Um, so I'm I'm from Cleveland originally, mm -hmm. so we have the um, land records from Cuyahoga County or the Cuyahoga Abstract Title and Trust Company. Okay. Um, yeah, Cuyahoga Abstract Title and Trust is the full name. So that collection was really cool to look at just as someone from Cuyahoga County. Right, sure. See the development of the suburbs over time, because I'm originally from a suburb of Cleveland, not Cleveland proper, but it was really interesting to kind of watch the development of the county over time just by looking at the plat maps themselves. Right. Because right. you have, you know, it's always east of river, west of river. Yeah. Um, and then slowly as you add suburbs, the plat books get sort of more and more modern styles. Mm -hmm. So just even seeing the construction of the plat books and the materials they were using change over time to, you know, up until like the seventies where it's a totally, basically a new city that they developed. So then they made right. a plat book for it and it's <laughs> very, very modern. It's yeah. um, plastic and, um, with like grommets on it and it's huh. so the, and I always enjoy you know just random little things I think throughout um, going through the court records we have just seeing the things that people used to as staples in re, or in replacement of staples right. where they're they're cutting uh they're cutting slits into the court mm -hmm. documents at the top and then right. threading ribbon through yeah, yeah. and it's it's just, I don't know. It's just something like a little detail right? that kind of connects you to the past or they're using nails. They're using sewing pins. Um, there was one, I, I hit a document that was used that used like wallpaper. Hmm. So it was like original wallpaper that they were writing some, I forget. I think it was like an account book on, Right. And right. it was clearly just scrap paper they had lying wow, around yeah. 
at the courthouse yeah. and they were like, oh, we'll just use this, you know? So, you know, that, that kind of reminds me of the one, uh, uh, kind of diary slash life story that you showed me that a woman had written, uh, on a sheet of paper that was what, 15 feet long. Yes. <laughs> I mean, yeah, just, it, just noted all the way through it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, I think in, I, I think that just helps connect you to the past of like, right. These were just things that people had lying around their house too. Right, right. Um, it wasn't any, you know, sort of like a particularly special item. It was yeah. just something they had access to. And um, I think it just, any of those random little charming things that kind of right. remind you that these were living people. Yeah, yeah. And so it's it's little things throughout that I enjoy. That's good. So if somebody was interested in finding out what's in the archive, um, for starters, how do they go about doing that? So I would recommend the sort of manuscript key. Um, okay. We, or I recently redid the manuscript key. So right. it is by subject. Okay. So all of the collections are organized by a specific topic that they kind of cover. Mm -hmm. um, so it's on the OGS website under genealogy okay. resources, library special collections, and then okay. filter for archive collections. Um, so I would recommend kind of browsing that document by sort of specific topics. Mm -hmm. um, so that's a, one place you can start. I'm also starting to catalog archival collections. So um, they will appear with um, sort of dis summaries and descriptions in okay. the catalog with then certain families as the subject fields, okay. um, as well as there are, I think we're up to 60 finding aids on the website right now. Great. So you can always scroll through the finding aids to see if anything there might be of interest to you. Right. But the manuscript key really is kind of the master list. It's okay. got everything that the archives has that is processed. Okay. And if somebody wanted to come to the library and view one of these collections, what would they, what would be the process for that? So I would always, the manuscript key does have a column if something is fragile or oversized. Okay. So if you are interested in um, any of our, it's usually the sort of naturalizations mm -hmm. from Richland County, um, any of our court records or ledgers that are oversized books um those would i would recommend that people either call or email ahead just okay. so i can have those records pulled for them right. um but even if it's a file um i would recommend people email or call ahead and say okay. hey i'm interested in this list of items you know i'm planning on coming this day okay and just confirm with me. Right. Um, just because in terms of, you know, some things are just too heavy to do by mm -hmm. yourself. Sure. Um, and especially if you're interested in a volume of records, if you email me ahead of time, I'm happy to pull them for you and have them ready for you at your visit. So it can be as efficient as possible. Mm -hmm. And we can just kind of have things cycle in and out for you right. as you kind of get ready. Um, so definitely kind of having a list or a plan and sending it to me ahead of time is probably um, the okay. best way to kind of get into the archival material. Are there any particular rules for them when they're using archival material? So not in particular. There are, again, with the, the court records and the ledgers, 
those I prefer to handle for people okay. um, just because they are fairly fragile. Um, and I would kind of rather I handle them and flip the pages for people. <laughs> sure, sure. Um, and some people also prefer me to do that. Um, right, right. Some people are more comfortable if I, as a professional, handle the materials, and that's right. totally fine. For things like um, individual research files or research collections, um, a lot of that's going to be modern paper, so okay. that isn't as fragile or as concerning to me. Um, certain photograph albums would have some special handling. Okay. Um, and again, that might be a, a situation where I handle it for an individual. Yeah. Um, and some okay. things can't be photocopied. Right. Right. Okay. So there is that caveat of yeah. some things might be take a picture with your phone. Only. Sure. Sure. Um, right. And again, that's just for um, the physical preservation of an item. Right. Right. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, I know you're not a genealogist, um, but if you had to give someone a bit of advice on their search for their family history, what mm -hmm. advice would you give them? Search on their family history. I, I think personally, I mean, I wish I would have picked people's brains more. <laughs> you know, it's um, funny. I know what you, you talk to the living. Right. Uh, if living. you, if, if you've listened to any of the podcasts, every time I get to that, that's one of the things people say commonly. Yes. Just talk to the living. That's their best advice. Right. I mean, I've gotten lucky that at least uh, there has been a couple of times where I've been researching my uh, my great grandmother, and I've just texted my mom. I'm like, do you mm -hmm. ever remember her saying <laughs> anything about right. this? And at least being able to have my mom confirm, like, right. oh yes, she absolutely right. was living with this other family at this time, has been helpful. I mean, I have a lot of people in my family who their names are spelled wrong mm -hmm. in the census frequently right, right. or they're just totally renamed by the census takers. <laughs> and it's only because I know this family story that I can yeah. confirm that this is my great grandmother in the yeah. 1930 census is because right. I know that, you know, she was working as a, a house servant for another right. family, yeah. but they renamed her. <laughs> uh, so seems to be a common thread. Yeah. So like, I think asking people who are still alive, whoever your oldest family members are, are helpful. And um, I also would say just from a answering the phones here, <laughs> um, make good citations, right. write down good citations. People, you know, will find stuff in books, in mm -hmm. surname files, in family files, 10, 15 years ago, they're still right. researching they're returning to researching that line now that there's more information available to them. There's more right. digitized and they just can't find this one record. Yeah. Um, and their citation is not detailed enough to kind of help them retrace their steps. Right. right. So I would recommend documenting in greater detail where you're getting certain records or certain resources. Right. Well, Jenna, I want to thank you personally for everything that you do for OGS uh, and caring for our archive and our collection. Uh, and more importantly, I think it's important, you know, that people understand that the role that we play at OGS in preserving not just genealogical records, but Ohio history as well. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I want to thank you for doing that for us and, and for and for making it easier for people to access it. And mm -hmm. thank you for talking to me today on the Ohio Roots podcast. Sure, absolutely.
Well, that was a great conversation with Jenna Kish. I really enjoyed speaking with her. I think uh, what she's doing at OGS is pretty amazing work. And I hope that you learned a lot about uh, archival work in general. Uh, also, what we do at OGS to preserve uh, genealogical and historical archival material. And then also, we want to make sure that you can access it in the future as you're doing your own family research. So thank you to Jenna for all that she does. If you'd like to see more about what's in the archive, you can visit our website at www.ogs.org uh, and look under Genealogy Resources, and you'll find a lot of information there about what we have available. So thank you uh, to Jenna, and thank you all again for listening to the OGS Ohio Roots Podcast. The Ohio Roots Podcast is brought to you by the Ohio Genealogical Society, the premier gateway for discovering your Ohio family history. Hosted by OGS Executive Director Noel Poyer and edited by Luke Poyer. Theme song is Beautiful Ohio, recorded by Bob Stanley and his orchestra in 1944. To learn more about joining the Ohio Genealogical Society, visit www.ogs.org.